Welcome to Finding Your Voice After 40, a weekly podcast that includes interviews with multicultural women and men over the age of 40 who have gone from ordinary to extraordinary living. I am your host, Kenya McGuire-Johnson, and as an artist, educator, and certified health, wellness, and mindset coach, my goal is to share incredible interviews and stories of people you may know or you may not know who are reclaiming and renewing their lives. Whether you're over 40 or not quite there yet, each week you will be inspired to thrive and not simply survive. Remember, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. To learn more about our amazing self-care and wellness holistic services, head on over to www.findingyourvoiceafter40.com or to get bonus episodes, head over to our Patreon and become a subscriber at patreon.com slash findingyourvoice. We are back with episode 20. Oh my gosh. We are out of the teens. And we are in the 20s. (laughs) We are still in season one. And this episode is titled Building a Compelling Life While Developing Community Engagement. And this is an interview with a very dear childhood friend of mine, Jonathan Kelly, who when you hear this video, you're going to hear one, how much I love him, (laughs) how much our friendship means to me and how much I value our connection. But more than that, you're going to hear his story of how when we are doing things that we're passionate about, how we begin to see that as a form of our self-care. And some of our guests in the past have, have said this and alluded to this. And I think Jonathan really unpacks um, this envelope of his to really show you how his life has become so much more compelling while doing this community work that he does as a nonprofit organizer. So definitely, and if you live in the Chicago land area, you really, really, really want to listen to this because there's an opportunity for you to get involved um, with this community engagement that he works on because the community that he does the nonprofit work is in Chicago. So this is definitely, this is a hometown episode. um, And then just one that I think is really special and compelling. Before we get into the episode though, we finished our Take Ease Challenge last week with our women, our black women over 40. It was fantastic. Kudos to the women who came every single night of the challenge and participated. Um, And we announced a new program, the Take Ease program that includes a getaway to Mexico at the end. This is a coaching program specifically for Black women over 40 to create more ease and rest into their lifestyles, particularly as it relates to your health, to your wealth, meaning your career, and to your relationships. And I am on a high right now. I'm on an agenda. (laughs) Um, I have been reading Trisha Hersey's, who's the starter, the founder of the NAP ministry. She has a book um, about rest and really how that ties to um, social activism and colonialism and systems and, and, and just humanity. Beyond, it's not about sleep, It's about actually becoming more alive by utilizing your rest. So, you know, it's been really inspiring listening to her talk more about 
um, what she means by rest. It's very much in alignment with what I believe in. And as a counselor and as a coach, one of the things that I push so hard for clients is to create a lifestyle in which they don't have to vacate from, in which they incorporate ease. And so this, while I can talk about that a lot, and while I think intellectually we all understand that to a certain degree, it makes sense, it is very challenge to live in a society, in a world, in a country, in the U.S. at least, as we do, um, and implement ease and shift your mindset so that, in fact, it's a value and it's one that you actually incorporate in your lifestyle. And so that's what the coaching program is about. It's a monthly coaching program. We can only take so many people. Right now we have, I think, only nine spots or no, 10 spots, I think, left. Um, And so if this is something you're curious about, we have a link in the show notes so that you can read more about it. Um, If you want to sign up and you know you want to sign up, um, the subscription is through our Patreon. So our patreon.com slash finding your voice. And I really hope black women over 40, you at a minimum consider this to see what it's about. It does culminate with an all-inclusive trip to Ajijic, Mexico, which is right at Lake Chapala, which is right outside of Guadalajara, a very quaint village, um, an area that is off the the main grid, but filled with mountains and hot springs and a massive lake. Lake Chapala is like the biggest lake in Mexico. Um, Looks kind of (laughs) ocean-esque, but it's really a lake. And so when you pay for your coaching program, your entire getaway, um, which will occur at the end of the program, um, is all paid for. It's all set for you to go rest and for us to meet each other and really indulge in that, that feeling of restoration. So check out the show notes or go to uh, patreon.com slash finding your voice. Um, and you will see if you click where it says, see all four levels, you'll see, and it describes more. You can always send me an email as well if you'd like, or you can book a free discovery call and we can talk it through just a little bit more. So make sure you check that out. All right. Our hashtag Thursday thrive quote, I forgive others for their flaws. Again, I forgive others for their flaws. So some reflection questions for you to ponder and journal about. How can I show forgiveness even when I'm badly hurt? So it's just actually one reflection question. I'll say that again. How can I show forgiveness even when I'm badly hurt? Hmm. That has a lot of layers to it. But I do think that it does begin with this, um, this act of forgiveness for people and their flaws and their, their humanness. Um, at the same time, forgiveness has a lot of layers. And depending on things, you may not be able to quickly go to forgiveness. You may have to be in some other spaces before you get there, and that's okay. Um, but I think ultimately when we can get into a space of acceptance and forgiveness is when we give ourselves freedom. So, all righty, let's get into this episode 20 interview with Jonathan Kelly, building a compelling life while developing community engagement. 
And welcome, Mr. Kelly. Look at us. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us in this in this space. Amazing. So it is amazing. <laughs> and those who are just listening, they're like, what? What's so amazing? Well, I first of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce you and, and do all the things. We're with Jonathan Kelly today, but Jonathan may just be my oldest friends <laughs> that I will bring to this. I'm pretty time. old. I am pretty We're old. Not, <laughs> I don't mean the oldest as in his age. We're the same age. I mean, go we go back the furthest probably than anyone, unless I bring a family member on. Mm. I don't know. Cause uh technically we have been friends since high school. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, GW, GW Denver, <laughs> Colorado, GW stands for George Washington, those wondering. And it's just really cool to be able to, you know, one, stay connected to people you've known for the majority of your life. It's a blessing. But then to watch them really bloom at this stage of life. And I have been Jonathan's friend through <laughs> literally since ninth, 10th grade. So there's a lot of life that has gone by a lot of life. Yeah. 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 But you are doing something so unique. And I, I really, I, I know sometimes I'll ask people to come on the podcast and they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm so sure because what I'm watching and what I'm seeing is some really inspiring stuff. And I'm hoping that others hearing your story will feel just as inspired. So before I dig into my first question and have you have everyone really hear your voice in this finding your voice after 40, I'm just going to read something super duper duper quick. And then I'll ask you some questions after that. All right. Super duper quick. Uh, Jonathan Kelly is an experienced nonprofit organizer organizer and the co-founder of the Lawndale pop-up spot a community museum and a shipping container at Love Blooms Here Plaza in North Lawndale, which is on the west side of Chicago. He has an undergraduate degree from Williams College and a master's in museum and exhibition studies from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Prior to his museum work, Jonathan worked in both the community organizing and anti-censorship world, as well as at the American Library Association as a program officer and former program coordinator. So you have been all about this community life. Tell me how it felt to just hear me read that to you. It felt good. Um, yeah, ever, really ever since high school, but certainly starting in college and immediately afterwards, um, you know, it's always felt like being engaged in community and, and working with community for, for, for a number of different causes has been a central calling of my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, <laughs> I've only ever, except for the odd Kinko's job, or that's aging myself, but except for the <laughs> odd Kinko's job or, or uh, Wendy's, you know, I've always worked in the nonprofit sphere. And um, so I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting for me because I, uh, you know, I don't really have any sense of what it's what corporate world is like the nonprofit that I worked at the American Library Association you know that was a larger nonprofit that that um, had some corporate structures but you know our incentives were very different you know it wasn't profit driven as much as it was program driven or goal driven or what have you mm -hmm. so um yeah I've always just thought of myself as just needing to exist in that space like <laughs> I never even applied for a job really 
in uh, mm. the corporate world. It just never, never occurred to me, never felt right for me. Wow. Wow. Okay. So we're going to peel back that, that onion a little bit, because mm -hmm. I think that's really rare, particularly our generation where corporate life was kind of what was drilled in our heads to kind of, you go to college for that. So I'm going to take you back because the context that I know you is, you know, obviously we mentioned high school, but I know you as a very creative artistic um, person. And so that's me. <laughs> Would you say, you know, growing up, was that you a creative or was that just something you kind of did? And, you know, we saw in high school, who was, who was Jonathan as a kid, <laughs> as an adolescent? Yeah. I mean, I've always been drawn to creative life. Um, without being the most creative, um, uh, generative person. So mm. I, uh, I loved, you know, taking music lessons when I was a kid, I took piano lessons since second grade, you know, that was always, it always felt right. Um, but I wasn't like creating my own music. <laughs> I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing jazz. I was doing like classical music that, you know, the sheet music was in front of me and I would play it. And there's an expression to that. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously a skill and, and work and appreciation of the creativity. But like I said, I, you know, if you asked me to write a jingle for the show, I mean, <laughs> there's no chance that would happen. It would sound exactly like the McDonald's jingle because I would just steal that. <laughs> so I've always been and same with theater. So I got really involved in theater and that's yeah. how we sort of connected was through, yeah. was through, uh, uh, Nancy Priest and Miss Williams. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. The w yes. Theater department. Um, yeah. But I wasn't out there trying to write my own plays or trying to write my own poetry, really was out there trying to perform and um, be maybe a little bit on the stage. Um, mm. So I guess that, you know, I, I have the appreciation for, for artistic creation um, and a love of bringing great creativity to groups, to people. And I think that might speak a little bit to, you know, the work that I do now and the work that I've done for a long time is, um, finding something that I'm passionate about, usually having it, there be a you know significant creative element to it, and finding ways to be able to share that with with the world. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I want people to tell their stories because I think that people assume, oh, well, you were this when you were this age, so then you kind of grew up, and maybe you had a hiccup, but then you became the 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 adult version of the thing you saw, it. and that's hmm. not at all, you know, what happens, and. Yes, we met, you know, during theater, doing theater together. And I think I probably got the most connected to you doing The Wiz because you were the student director, right, of The Wiz. So we, we when we would do these musicals, um, Nancy Priest, the theater director, drama teacher, she always had a student director in addition to herself, and that's to teach those skills of theater, you know, beyond. Of course, we're young, so I don't even know if we really – I kind of understood it and it's like okay but I that's when I got to know you and what was crazy was I only really kind of understood you in that space as student director and but then you did a play um was it oh my god Ma Rainey's Black Bottom yes yeah. yes it was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and I was like I was like wait wait what because I think you played the piano I want to say you played the piano during that that and then on top of it I'm going to bring this up because um I don't know how much I've ever talked to you about this I think I brought it up a little bit 
But this to me, in terms of finding your voice after 40, I'm curious to ask you a little more about you personally beyond just kind of our career, what we do. But I remember this and I want to bring this up and I hope you don't, it's not too sensitive or what have you. But when I saw you, I honestly, this is again, my 15, 14 year old brain, I did not realize that you were African-American. I'm gonna be honest. I was like, oh, okay. You know, that's Jonathan. Yeah. What? And you did this play and played this old black man. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I came up to you and I'm like, Jonathan, like, how did you like do that? How did you like emulate that? You're like, I'm black. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> and you kind of looked at me like, you know, yeah, that's like my dad. Like, and I'll never forget that because it was like, oh my God, wait a minute. I totally misunderstood this person. So here I am misunderstanding. And I think our identities and who we are in terms of whether it's race, culture, you know, gender, whatever. Right now, we're just now beginning to talk about kind of, but me misidentifying you, <clears throat> do you recall that? And, and has that been an experience of yours that in fact has influenced you? Kind yeah. Of? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember that specific thing, but you know, it's something that happened a lot and um, mm -hmm. it continues to happen to this day, 2022. And, and I'm cool with it. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's been something that I've um, always try to work through more internally than trying to externalize it. Not that I'm not like uh, talking about race or talking about um, my personal situation within larger racial constructs, but um you know, it's it's uh, growing up in particular, a large part of my youth before high school was in what predominantly white schools um, and um, predominantly white neighborhoods, although not exclusively. Um, and most of my dad's family, as well as my mom's family is in the Midwest, which is where I'm now, but growing up in Denver, I didn't sort of have that extended black family, you know, right in my in my backyard, you know, it was really more, we would take trips, you know, and then my dad got a little um, uh, separated from his family for a few years. He wasn't in contact with him all that, that often. And so, yeah. you know, his adult friends, you know, were, were of a wide variety, uh, you know, and you know how Denver is, it's a little bit more, yeah. I would say less segregated and less yes. like, yes. um, isolated than that. So, you know, I would have yeah. his friends, but they didn't, most of them didn't have kids my age. So I only, only had here and there. So um, it wasn't until, you know, uh, middle school. Um, I don't know how much I can curse here. Oh, um, you can. No, go. It's no, actually she didn't curse. So I had this, there's this little girl when I was, I was uh, in sixth grade and she was like, kept looking at me. She's like, <laughs> what are you? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, are you Mexican? And I'm like, no. It's like, are you Aaron? And she was, and I was like, no. She's like, are you a Negro? Oh, wow. This was in the 80s. Wow. Yeah. That was wow. where she's like, at first, at first remembering that, I thought she used the other word. Yeah. But no. yeah. Like, are you a Negro? And I said, no. Mm. I didn't, I didn't claim that. And I was, because yeah. I was so like, I was living with my mom at the time in Portland, mm -hmm. away from away from my dad, and I just, you know, I felt like I was running away from something, and, and it, yeah. I uh, that was the only time that anything like that I ever did that I ever like 
tried to hide who I was, that part of who yeah, I was. Um, yeah. um, you know, when, when I got to high school, you know, I had conversation with my dad about like, you know, you're going to be going to a black, a predominantly black school <laughs> for the first time. You know, are you okay with that? He asked me, I'm like, you know, of course, why wouldn't I be? He's like, you know, it's just right. different dynamics. And I was like, okay. Um, and then in high school, I had a very sort of mixed crowd of friends and, and I was in the uh, international baccalaureate program which was so insular yes. <laughs> and so its own thing. And all of our friends were each other for the most part, even if, yeah. you know, even if we were involved in theater, like a lot of the theater kids were also IB kids. So, right. And folks like, you know, Ayana and, and yeah. um, uh, Allegra. Allegra. Yeah, exactly. That became my, my social sphere. And so, um, but again, it was very, you know, we were, a lot of them were Park Hill kids and, that was an intentionally integrated neighborhood. And then once I got to college, you know, identity sort of ramps up even further in college, yeah. Uh, yeah. certainly a lot more. And I made the decision to go to Williams, a predominantly white kind of elite school in the East. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly put African-American on my applications. I mm-hmm. felt comfortable doing that, but, uh, you know, I'd always, they didn't give you a choice back then. It was one or the mm-hmm. other. There was no multiracial category. And in fact, when I got yeah. to college, I co-founded this group called Students of Mixed Heritage, where we, it wasn't really about to be separate or to like try to create a new category. It was really to allow a lot of us in the early 90s who maybe were living on on these racial peripheries or, or mm. questions about people to like work out what we, some of the, unpack some of the trauma. And it's not like a yeah. deep trauma. It's not like yeah. the trauma of like, you've got to sit in the back of this bus or, you know, <laughs> right. but it's it's feeling like, People are always looking at you weird. People are always yeah. asking questions that, that are harmless questions and good questions to ask, but yeah. in in certain contexts can feel very alienating or very very scary. So yeah. Yeah. that was a lot to a lot to. No, I, yeah. I'm so glad you shared that, and I appreciate you because I, this is this is the thing. I I think a lot of people make so many assumptions on so many things. And until we actually tell our stories, until we actually tell our experiences, those assumptions will just linger, linger, linger. And this is this is to me why, you know, racism and, you know, identity confusion and all of this exists because we don't get to really hear people's actual stories. We hear a lot of stereotypes, we hear a lot of hearsay, we hear a lot of other people's assumptions about what that other person might have possibly been feeling, but so rarely do we actually hear from people or do people get safe spaces to say, in fact, this happened to me and this is what I did, this is what I didn't do. And I think it's important. I'm hoping that finding your voice, like this podcast, because this is a this a lot of the work that I do when I'm coaching people, um, when I'm working with students, is is identity development, and not identity development in this very traditional way, but in this let's let's hear more of your story, and let's unpack your story so that you can hear your story too. Mm, yeah. Because a lot of times we don't even get to hear our own story based in our own voice. Like we kind of know the story based on the conditions that we were in, but to hear it in your own voice, I just really appreciate that because I think I wanted to bring that to light because what you are doing in current day and the space and the demographics by which you're working is is a, an African-American you know, space 
And beyond African-American space, there's a lot of other layers going on in, in the community. So I wanted to give context, you know, so I appreciate, no, you, that was, that was perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So, okay. So we're going through life. You mentioned about, you know, college, going to kind of this elite environment. Um, did you see your life, like what you are doing now? Did you have any visions in your 20s and th or 30s doing the type of work that you're doing now? Hmm. Um, no. So, so after college, I, I moved back to Denver, um, got involved in, in, in some community work and um, progressive spaces. And I, I found... I found it to be really um, like I was carrying this load. Like I was, I was, um, and I, I don't know if I was, I knew I had the, a passion for it, but I didn't know, I don't know if in retrospect, if, if I was ready, like emotionally or, or um, what have you to, to be doing the work. And, and it, it sort of burnt out on it within a couple of years really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just traveled around the state a lot and, um, tried to, tried to find my voice there. And mm -hmm. I still have this interest in the arts. So at some point, um, I had this idea that I would become a, a screenwriter and maybe like a director, like a auteur, as we call mm -hmm. it, uh, <laughs> try to write stories, stories that might work out some of my issues, like really, really bad, but, you know, still like trying to like create something and then put it out there to the world and, um, you know, through, through narrative, through visuals, through, um, through action, what have you. And so I applied to a film school for graduate school, got rejected. Um, and then I was like, well, you know, maybe I can try something in, you know, just go to a, a larger city than Denver that actually has a film industry. Um, and sort of like choosing when I chose Williams, I, I always, I don't want to ever make the completely obvious choice in, in life. So when going back to fifth grade, when it was time to choose, like I knew I wanted to be involved in the, 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 the middle school orchestra and but I played piano. I didn't play like any of the, the orchestra instruments. So the music director was like, well, what would you like to learn? What do you want to play? And I was like, what are some options? And he said, there's clarinet, there's, there's the trumpet, there's the oboe. And I was like, it's oboe. I've never heard of that. <laughs> And he's like, you know, it's the duck in Peter and the Wolf. And I was like, oh, I want to do that one. Nobody does that one, right? That's the one I want to do. So I played the, I ended up playing the oboe for like nine years, the next nine wow. years. And, and really liking it. Played in like a city, like a small suburban orchestra in Denver. And nice. Anyway. I don't think so, I did that. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was, uh, I was better at the piano probably, but there's, um, there's a lot of love in my heart for the oboe, yeah. just because it's a little weird. The oboe you know? is a beautiful one. I love the oboe. Not when I played it. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, it's, if you can really, David Ruckel at George was like the only person that I really knew who was so proficient uh, in the yeah, oboe. Super, yeah. super proficient in it and, and yeah, always made pitchy. it sound amazing. Yeah, it's easy little, to get picked. pitchy it's, dog. It's yeah, yeah. So, um, where was it? So anyway, uh, yeah, it was like, again, I, I don't want to move to LA. It seems so obvious and like pretentious. I don't want to move to New York. It seems like overwhelming. And, um, but I, you know, I know that Chicago has some semblance of a film industry. So that was a big reason why I ended up moving to Chicago in late 1998, which is where we were able to reconnect not too long after right. that, I think. Right. Right. Um, 
because it'd been a, it had been a few years. I think we saw each other at maybe a five-year reunion or something. Yeah, yeah, I think we saw each other at a reunion. And I knew you were in Chicago, but I was living in D.C. And then when I relocated to Chicago, I reached out because I'm like, I'm in Chicago. I need a friend. And I think that's when Ayana was still here. Kari was still she here. Was, yeah. Um, so, yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> So we, um, uh, so I moved here. I, I tried to get like a couple of like, um, what do you call them? Like, like not extra, like, uh, production assistant oh, yeah. roles okay. or something like that. On, and I got one on like a really tiny, bad, bad, bad <laughs> film and tried to like befriend people and be like, how do you get involved? And everybody, I just felt like everybody was still very gatekeepy. Like yeah. they didn't want the competition. It's a gate. It's a gatekeepy industry, but yeah, yeah. And so it was pretty quickly that I realized I didn't want to do that, but I needed to get a job. So I was temping. I got this job at the American Library Association. I was like, you know, it fits my skill set. I definitely can do data entry. I definitely can do, you know, write letters and what have you. And I was like, I can be here for a couple of years, keep exploring this. And then 17 years later, <laughs> I was still fucking at this organization <laughs> that didn't allow me to like, uh, I just, I was, I was in a huge rut. Yeah. I was just yeah. in this rut that I, and I couldn't see my way out of it um, mm -hmm. for, for a number of different reasons. It was just like, I didn't have the kick in the ass that I needed to, to take mm -hmm. another step. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that's skipping over a huge part of my well, life. I, well, <laughs> this is no, no, you did awesome because I, I wanted us to kind of get into what was the kick in the ass, like what, because this I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> okay. Almost literally kicked in the ass. Literally she would have, she, she brought her boots that day. <laughs> <laughs> but this is so, okay. So that vulnerability of getting fired and, mm. and a lot of, you know, I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably, you know, when I'm looking at my analytics, is looking like the majority of our audience is between 34 and 60. Um, so we've got some people who are approaching 40 and then we've got those who are really in that 40s, 50s grind and then, you know, some above 60. But I know that I have friends right now who have been fired recently or who have been downsized. And, you know, to have that happen, because I believe that happened while you were in your 40s. This is, yeah. uh, yeah. And so to, to have gone to Williams and Mary, I mean, to, you know, to have all of this life and then to be at an organization for 17 years almost, and then to get fired, but maybe being a blessing in disguise for you, I guess, was that the kick in the ass that was like, okay, I'm going to go do this tomorrow. Or did you still fumble in that and figuring the next there were moves. there were there were two things that happened so i got fired which needed to happen and i you know I, I have a little bit of begrudging but not that much of a begrudging um and then um right around the same time a, a friend of mine had been diagnosed with brain cancer and um being his wife is a really really close friend of mine and uh so but being able to sort of be untethered from that job and you know, I was able to take a little bit of money out of my 501, mm -hmm. 501, 401k. 401. <laughs> and, you do a lot uh, of 501 work. Yeah, like 401. exactly. 401, yeah. <laughs> um, just being able to like, uh, you know, just help out a little bit. They had a young son. Um, 
just take a little space to 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 think, but also to have the realization of um, mortality, which I mean, always always think about, but um, you know, that sort of it was it was really 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 highly present. And mm-hmm. uh, he ended up uh, passing away. Unfortunately, within not too long after that, but you know, being able to be at the hospice and um, just help with some logistics, even sleep there for a couple of nights. And um, his, what it's, it's, I don't think I've told this story either, but his parents were um, worked in the museum world. And so I was like, I got to think of something to do. And um, the, it's, I think that, starting with getting fired and everything since then has been a lot of serendipity and a lot of a lot of forks and a lot of intentional decisions to say yes to an opportunity that's presented itself or taking something that seems completely random and following that path and i don't know how to articulate it quite but um so his parents were involved in museums me think museums. Oh, you know what? I really like museums. Um, what if I what if I tried to learn how to do museums? So then I called somebody at Northwestern, which had a short like a certificate program, and they were like, um, "It's a good program, but I don't, you know, I don't know all that you're going to get out of it if you're really looking to do a deep dive." What about the University of Illinois Chicago? I looked at that. They seem like. Uh, kind of a really nice fit. So mm-hmm. I said yes to that path. And then um, I got in and then fall of 2016 is when when my cohort started. Um, the first day, even before the first day, I saw a poster in one of the lounges that said, uh, take this class on incarceration and decarceration um, mm-hmm. through the art department. And I was like, that sounds cool. I was I was listening to uh, a, um, Making a Murderer, or I was watching Making a Murderer on Netflix. Oh, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, this is something about like, wrong, maybe I can do like around wrongful convictions and that can be like my museum thing. Mm-hmm. So I took that class and uh, convinced this, my new friend Chelsea, who is also in my cohort to take that class. And from that, we had a visitor within the first few weeks. And he was like, I've got this building in North Lawndale on the West side that uh, I'd like to turn into some sort of like presentation space or display, sp- display space. And then I said, Chelsea, we could work on this project. This could be like our thing. Like it's museum kind of related. We're in this art program, but like maybe we could help him build this up. So we worked with him for a couple of years. And and then um, a, t- uh, a teacher, that, another class had this uh, project to put um, some billboards up. And we were like, what if we put the billboard on the side of the building that we're working on? And so that became our first project. And then wow. um, that build, that project kind of like, fell through literally like it fell apart <laughs> a car ran into that building oh my which was already a mess. i was driving down the street i had uh gone to this conference on museums and uh this woman from mexico city was talking about a huge failure in her life and uh, you know i'd already experienced some failure with uh with my last job but this was starting to feel like another project that was yeah. seeing failure like we couldn't get anything going like we didn't know if we wanted this to be like uh, you know 
our thing or if we should just go live our lives and maybe try to get a job at, at the Field Museum or something. I don't know. Right. And then, um, but I was like, let me show you this mural that we created in, in one of our classes. I, I met the person after her presentation. So we were driving and I went to show her the mural and I, I couldn't see the mural as we were coming down 16th Street. And then I realized I couldn't see the building and the building had been <laughs> torn down. And uh, one of the guys that we worked with uh, happened to be on, right there talking with some friends. I was like, what happened in the building? It's like, yeah, it was, they tore it down. It was in, in really bad shape. And I was like, this is another good thing because it, I mean, not for our project, but it liberated us <laughs> another from- Another serendipitous thing, right. Very much so. It liberated yeah. us from this idea that a museum had to be in this brick and mortar space, that either we had to go into something that had already been built and like, fix it up and make it into something, or we had to build something from the ground up if we wanted to do this community museum on the West side project idea. Cause we'd already become really connected to and invested in a lot of amazing work, work happening in the North Lawndale area. It's a, yeah. for those people who don't know it, it's a, you know, really historically important neighborhood in Chicago. Uh, Martin Luther King in particular lived I'm here now. I don't actually live in the neighborhood, but he he set up residence here with his family when he was doing his uh, Chicago Freedom Project in, in 1965, 1966. And um, he preached it, at, you know, he made a couple of the churches his home preaching base. And um, he got Mahalia Jackson to come sing at one of them. So he like that, that history exists. There's um incredible Jewish history from the neighbor of the neighborhood. And so it's, the, I'm in currently the original Sears tower, uh, which oh, before wow. it moved downtown was based in North Lawndale and was, wow. this is where they made all the Sears catalogs and shipped them out around the world. So, wow. um, having, I knew nothing about North Lawndale before connecting with the, with the first gentleman that I mentioned, but we'd, yeah. we'd gotten so excited about the work happening in the, the spirit of the neighborhood that, um, after, after that building, one of our, one of our classmates had come up with this idea, like we, I couldn't see, she was like, I can see that this building is taking a lot out of you and seems impossible to repair. Have you ever thought about a shipping container? And I had never thought about a shipping container. And I was like, what a good idea after, after that happened. So again, just taking other people's ideas. I don't write the ideas. I don't, they don't, I don't create them, but I'm happy to steal ideas. We're happy to perform ideas. So right. it's one thing to steal an idea. It's another thing to steal the idea and then do something with it and do something unique and cool and different and beautiful with it. And so yeah. that's what we're trying to do with the Lawndale pop-up spot is, is just buy a shipping container, paint it, put some flooring in, put some walls in, and then start coming up with wild ideas of how to um, make that a generative space for artists, for right. community members, for history, historians, for just people who want to be expressive in space and community. Oh my gosh. You know, it just, I, so thank you so much for sharing and giving kind of the timeline on that for, there's kind of a two side of this coin of hearing that story. One side obviously is just the rich community development aspect of that. And I just, that makes me so excited because while I am not a community organizer, I because I work in healing spaces and I know how, and again, with identity development, and I know how profound communities impact is on those things, healing and development. It just excites me so much to see this, you know, African-American neighborhood still 
being worked with and, and, and um, you know, created with. And, and museums, I think sometimes we lose sight of what the point of a museum is. You know, I mean, you've studied now museum science and, you know, curation and so forth. So you're in the belly of it. But I think a lot of people, yeah, just think of, oh, the science, you know, what is it? Science and industry. What is it, a museum of science yeah. and industry? And, you know, oh, we're going to go to Shed Aquarium. And then, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Museum is supposed to reflect the artifacts of the of the environment, of whatever environment or, or community. And so to, to create a museum in that space is so huge. And to, for, and to do it from the lens um, of a creative or from an artistic lens, that so excites me because I just think that I, it's just so innovative and rich. You were about well, to say something. Just that you said that museums are, are meant to reflect, and I think that's a huge role of museums. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that the uh, program that we went through at University of Illinois at Chicago really stressed was um, the impact of museums and the potential impact of museums. So not just to serve as reflective, but to serve as change agents. Yes. Um, yes. We, one of our earliest texts was uh, this thing called Museum is Soup Kitchen. So it talks about the idea of these like a history museum or something like that. Like, okay, so you're reflecting and meanwhile you've got homeless folks camped yes. out a block away. Why do you think you're separate from that? Why do you think yeah. you're not part of the community that you're getting your tax money from or your your visitor base from or what have like why what are what what additional role or how can you take this idea of um, being a cultural institution and right. making it about um, actual day-to-day -day lived experience of community and you know, that can be the case in Newport, Rhode Island, where everybody's really rich. One of my early dreams was I, I, I'm a huge tennis fan, and that's where the yes. International Tennis Hall of Fame and Museum is. And I took a tour of that, and I was like, that's where I want to work. Actually, that was the main reason I went into museums. It wasn't to be a change agent. It was to be around, like, tennis history and to, like, be yeah. able to tell that story. But, like, you know, whether you're there, like, there's always a way that you can impact the world around you and and um you know some communities have bigger or different or more more like salient challenges than others and um right. i think every museum from from the accordion museum in superior wisconsin that i just went to to <laughs> to the met you know yeah about how are we um how are we impactful how are we not extractive but like um we're not just like like if you remember the beginning of of black panther where killmonger mm. was like no spoilers but like going to see <laughs> like take these miss 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 uh misappropriated artifacts and and take yeah. them you know for for wakanda or what have you right. um you know, there's that question of, of a lot of museums is to the degree to which they are reinforcing. I, I don't want to get into an entire museum studies class, but, you know, reinforcing <laughs> hierarchies and power dynamics. Yes. And a lot of museums serve that purpose. Like if yeah. you go to if you go to I was in Cuba I, when I travel, I go to museums. It's like, ah, don't work while you're, while you're vacationing. But, you know, I, I still love them. And so. Um, I was in Cuba and I went to the Museum of the Revolution, which they took the former president's grand palace and made it for the people, a free museum that, um, you know, 
told the story of the Cuban Revolution and the impacts both then and now of of their of their system. Um, yeah. And in some ways, that is a museum doing the work of um, of you know taking away this space of exploitation uh, that they saw and turning it into a place for the people. But in a very other, very real way, it's a sp sp space of propaganda and to reinforce yeah. the power yes. of dynamics that exists there. Exactly. Um, so the more museums can question their roles in yeah. those power dynamics, the more that they can question their, their sort of place outside yeah. of, as opposed to integrated into the community. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that's, that's how museums, and that's why also I felt it really important to call our space a museum. We don't collect yeah. artifacts. We're not mm -hmm. a traditional museum by any means. We're really more of a, I almost want to say a gallery space, but mm -hmm. A, I want the museum to world to always be thinking more about how they can be in service to yes. with community, not just to, but with community. And also like make sure that this community knows that we are providing a lot of functions of, of museums and that they can be proud to have uh, yeah. a cultural institution yeah. like this in the community and make of it what they will. And then also like see how we can rethink museums to um, go beyond just what's inside the walls or some programs related to it. So we do, you know, not during the winter, but during the spring and summer, we have a lot of events that are not even connected to our exhibition, but our cookouts, our free concerts, our, um, um, our festival days. And, you know, we, we use the, we use the opportunities to show our stuff, but also to help out other people and, and just be one of many, many groups and, and organizations like trying to impact, impact the neighborhood. It's, it's so progressive. And, you know, we're way past our time I'm looking at my clock and I'm like, oh, but it's so interesting. No, but it's so interesting because it's so progressive and it's so innovative and it's so necessary. And I think in our spaces of, you know, in our indigenous and black people and brown people in these spaces, you know, there's a certain level of to me in my head and I haven't studied, you know, museum science, but or curation of any. It's not a science. <laughs> I, it's, but I but it, 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 there's a colonialization also that that comes along with museums. In, and, in, the, in the imagination there is, but it doesn't have to be that. It, right. It and that and that's what I love about this space is you're you're still using the language of museum, but you're showing another part to it. We could go on and on, but we can't. But we can't. Okay, so this is I have two more questions for you. Okay. Um how is Jonathan, now that you are doing such a, I think honestly feels a it feels to me as your friend like a bit of a dream come true for you to be in this space doing this type of work because you're merging so many parts of yourself to do it. So at this point of your life, what one, what is it that you do to really take care of yourself just for you so that you have the, the bandwidth to keep moving in these spaces? And what are you most looking forward to looking forward? So those two things, how are you taking care of yourself and what are you looking forward to? Um, so yeah, so... As you may know, I just turned 50 this year. Uh, yes. So that's like a big deal. <laughs> it's, uh, 
but I look it. Um, we, <laughs> a, a big thing that I've always done um, is, and I don't know, if, I don't like the, I don't know if it's taking care of myself. It's just scratching an itch, um, which maybe that's, you know, that's don't let that itch go on streets. Yeah. And, and so I love, I love traveling. Um, and I love to even um, just do a little bit of exploration, even if it's um, a, a taco joint, you know, in a neighborhood I haven't been to in Chicago, or if it's, you know, the trip that I just took that I think I, I, I you saw a I month saw, long trip. Yes. Um, long trip. Yeah. It. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of freedom in my life right now. And, and that feels yeah. really good. And, you know, some of that has to do with, you know, saving things that I were able to save to and save up for and what have you. But um, so I would say like that, that, that month long trip or um, the trip to Cuba that I took that I mentioned, any of those, yeah. like I'm not the world's biggest traveler, but I, I do really like um, doing that sort of thing and trying to make that, that travel experience as offbeat as I can. Yeah. I was about um, to say that it's the quirk in your travel. It's not even so much. I mean, if you, you know, we're going to have in our show notes a way to follow Jonathan. And if you follow kind of, you know, it's not, it, it's, you'll be like, why did you want to go to that place? But then the places you go within those cities or in those locations, I mean, Cuba is kind of an obvious one, but you know, if you're in Wisconsin or in Minnesota or something like that, it's like, oh, the accordion and, museum, but then the accordion <laughs> museum pops up, you know. So I, I think that quirk is is the itch. Like, it, well, to me, it feels like that's yeah. the thing that's making it really compelling. And yeah, and and I try to incorporate that into the work that we do at the at the pop up yeah. spot. Is you know try to try to encourage the artists to find their own quirk. Um, I yes. mean, artists are already inherently quirky, um, but you know, just think a little bit more. It's such a cliche, but outside the box or outside the <laughs> container, in our case, right, um, right. about like what will make this stick in people's heads and not have it be just another, uh, I want to see another art show. Like, oh, I saw something that I've never seen before and will never see again. And, um, and you know, every, every community deserves that level of like special. And I'm, I'm not saying that we're the only folks in town or the only people providing that, but um, you know, that, that thing that you, you bring out your, your, um, uniqueness and, and that sort of thing. That's, I would say that to answer that question, that's sort of the main way that I pay attention to myself I love is, that. is through I love that. that. And then what was the other question? What are you looking forward to at this oh, stage of life? What, what? I mean, this question. is just, you've yeah. only gotten to halfway through. I mean, you may be yeah. a little beyond I'm, halfway. Just I'm a little like a, beyond. I'm a quarter of the way through. You don't <laughs> even know. I'm going to be on your podcast in 75 years being like, man, I still have a lot to do. Yeah, we'll have all of these uh, like cell regeneration figured out by then. Um, okay, what am I looking forward to? Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to... Um, continuing on with this work to, um, you know, one of the things that was a little tough for us, was tough but also liberating, was that after our first exhibit in 2019, we had a big slate of exhibits planned for 2020. And, you know, the, the, the pandemic messed with that a lot. And, but we, we adjusted. But one of the things we've always been trying to do is 
find out ways that we can do truly community curated work. So not just me as curator, finding a community member who's an artist and putting on a show, but working with people from all ages, not just youth, because youth is the obvious one sort of, and a very important one, but people of all ages, because 60 year olds can bring enthusiasm these days more than a lot of you know high schoolers or whatever and, and generative ideas and and um, um, wishes for their neighborhood and their community so working with multi-generational groups and cohorts within North Lawndale to have them do the work of running museum you know this museum and other museums so really, um, our, our, our big summer project is called Your Exhibit Here. Um, everything about it is going to be of, by, and for the community. We're only going to provide some tools in terms of bringing in experts on curation or writing for museums or uh, what have you. But these, these groups of young people and older people are going to work together to come up with the idea for the exhibit, to write out the plan for it, to mm -hmm. come up with the design, marketing, promotion, um, and all the programs related to it. So yeah. um, we're going to kick that off early in 2023. We're extremely excited about it. We're still looking for a little bit of funding. So yeah. any of your well, listeners. I was just going to say, I was going to say this was going to, I don't want to leave without people being able it will be in our show notes, but please share how people can um, one follow on social media, um, whichever, if it's Londell pop-up, you know, or if it's yep. you, whichever is best. And also, yeah, the website where people can go to donate or to support volunteer, all the, all the good things that we want to do. To, to keep it alive and moving and growing. So, yep. yeah. So following Lawndale pop-up spot is easy. It's Lawndale pop-up spot, all one word, .org on the web, regular on Facebook, regular on Instagram. And then um, you can donate also on our website, lawndalepopupspot.org. And then just follow me on Instagram. If you're really excited about my travels, <laughs> I'm at uh, Jonathan M. Kelly on Instagram. M. And, and make sure you guys look at the spelling because his Kelly is with the E-Y, not just a Y. And his Jonathan is J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. You know, there's a lot of different spellings of your name. Sure so are. There <laughs> sure are. No one, no one, even my parents don't get it right 100% of the time. I'm kidding. <laughs> I miss it. So I'm like, what is it? I'm like, no, I got it now. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. All right. Last thing, I promise. Yeah. Theme song. What's a song that motivates you that, Ooh. yeah, I know. We're, we have a playlist that by the time your episode airs, this okay. playlist should be out. But yes. Oh, what man. And I know that's hard for, for someone who loves music. and Yeah. 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 Maybe yeah, this yeah. week. Maybe it just pops up in your head right now. Well, the one that like my sort of like energy song is Uptown Funk. I just oh, I, you yeah. can't listen to that song and not start getting a little bit, a little bit ready to go, a little bit hyped <laughs> up, you know. Um, but really, also I'm old school, so anything uh, Stevie Wonder or uh, Elton John are like my two like yeah. great artists. Like uh, I could listen to literally every second of every day forever and never get tired of it. So. Anything by those two. But if you're talking about like getting the blood moving, getting pumped up, let's get this 
it's going to be uptown fun. It's just such a fun song. It is a fun song. It's a really fun song. And so we will include it in the playlist, in the Spotify <laughs> playlist. Well, this has been wonderful. We are going to continue our conversation for just a few more moments as a bonus um, on video. Do not jump off yet. Okay. I'm just going to continue for our, our listeners on the on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But I'm so super excited for you and proud of you for finding your voice, for finding this. And Thanks. Really you too, Kenya. For real, for real. Extremely proud of you. This is a, a wonderful, beautiful effort. And um, I'm very proud of you as well. Thank you. I'm always changing. I'm a chameleon. So, you know, but, but I, I too want to get really involved. Um, I want to make sure I can get involved with Londell pop-up spot for sure. So yes, yes. All right, listeners, we will be back next week. Those who are staying tuned for the bonus, we will see you in a moment. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast and share on social media using hashtag finding your voice after 40. To submit questions, email info at findingyourvoiceafter40.com.